0: Today's reading comes from Psalm 32, and it can be found on page 462 in the Pew Bibles. 462. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him you hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all your pride in heart. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Thank you, Prajwal, for reading for us. We are continuing on in our sermon series on joy, called The Joy Set Before Us. And uh, the punchline of the sermon series really, I suppose, is that joy is a person and his name is Jesus. So if you don't get anything else from the rest of the sermon series, just hang on to that truth. Joy is a person and his name is Jesus. And in Jesus, the God who made all things, who is eternally joyful, has shared his joy with us in the face of Christ. And so there's such good news in that. And we've been looking at the pathways to joy, which really are the pathways to Jesus, and looking at the different Kind of ways that we can access more Jesus in our life. So, looking at another pathway this morning, that might, on the surface, seem a counterintuitive pathway to joy, and that's confession of sin. But when we think about joy being a person whose name is Jesus, then it makes sense because how do we how do we get to Jesus? We get to Jesus by confessing our sins, so that He can come and restore us and heal us. And so, if If a person is joy, then it makes sense that the confession of our sins is not only a pathway to Jesus, it's a pathway to joy as well. So our text this morning is an example of this pathway to Jesus, this pathway to joy through confession, Psalm 32. The backdrop for Psalm 32 is King David's sin with Bathsheba. And most of us know the details, basically, of David's sin, but for the sake of interpreting our text and and reading it uh, in the context with which it was written, I'm going to quickly walk through some of the salient points of David's story. And so, here's what I want to do this morning: we're going to we're going to run through uh, David's story, particularly uh, his his sin uh, with Bathsheba, which we find in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And then um, we're going to get into Psalm 32 and show. The, the intersection between David's story and then what he writes here in Psalm 32. And then I've got something special for you, uh, kind of midway through the sermon, and then we're going to come together uh, and take communion at the end. So David's story, Psalm 32, something special, and then communion at the end. That's kind of where we're going this morning. So first, David's story. King David is introduced to us in the scriptures in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and he's a man who deeply loves the Lord. He's a man of great faith, and his story starts off very well. It's a sort of Cinderella story. He goes uh, from shepherd boy to king, and uh, we see God's faithfulness to David throughout his story and David's faithfulness to the Lord throughout the story. But as we get to 2 Samuel 11, David is established as king, and he's at war with the Ammonites. And Joab, who is David's army commander, is leading David's troops in a siege against the capital of Amnon. But David has stayed home in Jerusalem. And one day, while he is out walking on the rooftop of his palace, he sees a woman bathing, and he sends to find out who she is, and it turns out that her name is Bathsheba, and she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, Uriah is one of David's top military commanders. In 1 Chronicles 11, we read that he's one of David's 30 mighty men. But Uriah is out of town with Joab. And so David sends for Bathsheba, and he sleeps with her. And Bathsheba, in due course, becomes pregnant, and so she sends word back to David, letting him know that she is now with child. Of course, this is a problem, but it's doubly a problem because Uriah has been out of town for an extended period of time. So when Bathsheba turns up pregnant, it will lead to all sorts of speculations and questions. And the truth eventually will out. So David, in an attempt to cover over his sin, he sends word to Joab in the field to send Uriah back with a report of how the battle is going. And it's a pretext to get Uriah back into Jerusalem so he can be with his wife to cover up any uh, stories that might come later. But Uriah is such a loyal, uh, uh, such a loyal servant to both David and to the men that are serving under him that he will not go home to be with his wife. The... His men in the field, if they can't experience the comforts of home, he won't experience the comforts of home. So David tries a number of days to get Uriah to go home to be with Bathsheba, but Uriah won't do it. David even gets Uriah drunk in an attempt to break down his resolve, but Uriah won't go home. So finally, David sends Uriah back to Joab in the front lines with a message that is essentially Uriah's own death sentence because the message to Joab is to, lead an assault against the city, and then when the fighting becomes fierce, to pull back the other divisions and troops, leaving Uriah and his men there against the city wall so that Uriah will be killed. And so Joab does this. And news of Uriah's death then is brought back to David, and David lets the appropriate time of mourning go past, and then he takes Bathsheba to the palace as his wife. So close to a year passes, And then the word of the Lord comes to Nathan the prophet. And the Lord says to Nathan, go and confront David on his sin. So Nathan goes in a very dramatic uh, telling in 2 Samuel 12. Nathan confronts David in his sin. And David's response is immediate. I have sinned against the Lord. He owns his sin and acknowledges it. Which really is remarkable on two accounts, it's not only remarkable, first, because he's the king. And back in those days, and as we read, continue reading on in the history of the kings, to confront a king with his sin uh, was a dangerous thing for a prophet to do because kings don't have to listen to anybody. And so the fact that David owned and acknowledged his sin when Nathan came and confronted him, that was remarkable. But it was also remarkable because David's sins were capital sins. Capital offenses according to the law of Moses. According to the law of Moses, you could sacrifice your way out of some types of sin. And then there were other types of sin that you could make restitution for. But when it came to the sins of adultery and murder, there was no means of sacrifice. There was nothing you could bring to the Lord to atone for that sin. There was no prescribed means of restitution for murder and adultery. The only resolution in the law was death of the perpetrator or the mercy of the Lord. And in Hope Against Hope, when David humbly confessed and acknowledged his sin when he was confronted, the Lord gave to David mercy. And so what we have in Psalm 32 Is David's reflection on his sin, the year that he spent hiding it, and then his confession and the joy that he found on the other side of his confession. So that brings us now to Psalm 32. So in Psalm 32, verse 1, David begins the psalm with a statement about the blessedness of the one whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And this term blessed that is used here just as easily could be translated, O most happy. It's a synonym for joy. And, in fact, it's the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek term that we find in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, when Jesus says, blessed is the, the pure of heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed. Jesus is using this same term, blessed, and this term blessed means almost oh, happy. The, the way that one finds the greatest joy is to be blessed, right? This is what it is. And when it comes to the blessing of forgiveness... To be blessed isn't merely to get back to baseline. Like, I was here, kind of in a neutral spot, and then I sinned and I fell down to here, and then the Lord has forgiven me, and I'm back up now to baseline. That's not the idea of being blessed and forgiveness. To be blessed is more positive than that. It's the joy you feel when something good has happened that has elevated you above the baseline. So think about when a child is born. There's a lot of pain for a woman in the process of childbearing. So she's here, lots of pain, but then when the child is born, she's not just back up to baseline. She's actually past baseline because now she has a child. And it's like that with forgiveness of sin. That God's forgiveness of our sin moves us up beyond The baseline, we become actually more joyful than we were before. David is saying that the one who has been forgiven, who has been freed from the consequences of sin, actually enters into an increased state of blessedness that lifts them above the baseline they were into a space of deeper happiness and joy. This is the same thing that the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6 when he says that where sin abounds grace abounds even more. Grace doesn't just abound to compensate for sin. Grace abounds even more than sin, right? And so where sin dribbles the basketball, grace dunks. Where sin walks, grace runs. Where sin bruises the heel, grace crushes the head. Grace triumphs over sin. And that's what David is saying here, the forgiveness of God... The mercy of God actually leads us into a deeper experience of happiness and joy in God. But this doesn't happen automatically because there's a bridge that spans the distance between sin and joy and its confession. Look what David says in verse 3 of our psalm, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, thinking no doubt of this year that he spent before Nathan confronted him. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David was not thriving While he was hiding his sin. His sin plagued him. This was the opposite of blessedness. But then look at verse 5. But then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David acknowledged his sin. He confessed his transgression. He acknowledged it and owned it, and then the Lord forgave him. And then in the verses that follow, David offers counsel to all that find themselves in his situation. He says, "'Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found.'" Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from troubles. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. To refuse to confess our sin is to hang on to our sin. And to hang on to our sin is to rob ourselves of the joy that comes with God's forgiveness. To refuse to confess our sin is to be like the horse or the mule that doesn't go in the way that it should go except by compulsion. But David has been there and he knows the way, the journey from sin to the joy of forgiveness and that it passes over the bridge of confession. Now right about now, in my sermon, I would normally give you some sort of riveting illustration to clarify or underscore the point of the text. And I do want to give you an illustration uh, this morning. I told you we are going to do something special. And so a number of weeks ago, I asked Mark Brucato if he'd be willing to share some of his own story about the journey from sin to joy passing over the bridge of confession because he too has been there and he too knows the way to joy. And so, Mark, if you would come on up, let's uh, take some time. We're going to take some time, Mark and I, to, to share a bit with each other. So this is like an extended family chat. We even got two stools here. I'll say as we get going uh, here that... Um, Mark is sharing with uh, the full permission uh, of his wife and family, and so this is something that, that they have talked a lot about over the years, and, and uh, so they're happy for him to be here as well and are in support of him. And the other thing to say is, Mark, your story is going to uh, potentially, um, it covers into some sensitive topics, and so we're going to be family-friendly uh, here in the telling of that story this morning. You have been very open with your story uh, in other contexts, and I know you're, you're not afraid to name things, but we want to just be sensitive to, uh, to the public uh, nature of this time, so. But thank you for being up here. And um, I thought maybe to get us started, just give us a little bit of, of um, you know, what you were doing, like your life. Give us like the, the three-minute version of, uh, of your life, and I know you were in Italy and serving as a missionary, so talk to us a little bit about all of that. Great,
2: thank you so much, and thank you, Gerald. Pastors and elders and congregation for caring for my family over the last four years. I'm really grateful and humbled and thankful to share this morning. And I'm going to try to summarize my 40 years in like a minute or two. So here we go. Um, I am the husband of a wonderful, bold, courageous, beautiful, godly woman named Ruthie, my best friend, and I am dad to four amazing kids. Eliana, Gabriel, Emmanuel, and Michael. And uh, you've seen two of these children, Eliana and Gabriel, get baptized here at Calvary Memorial Church in the last few years. So super grateful to be part of this congregation and humbled by the joy of being here. I grew up as a pastor's kid and a missionary kid in Italy to some extremely loving parents and um, went to Moody Bible Institute, came to the States for... Moody Bible Institute where I met Ruthie. We were married right after Moody and then also had the privilege of studying at Wheaton Graduate School, both of us. And uh, we received the Billy Graham scholarship to be there. It was a big honor. When I was there, we got involved with College Church, which is where I met Todd Wilson and Jonathan Cummings and some of the other families actually connected to this congregation. And College Church ordained, uh, ordained us for ministry and sent us out to Italy where we served in Italy from 2009 to 2017. And in Italy, we just had such a sweet blessing of working with Nuova Vita Church, which is a congregation of the most beautiful and passionate Italian evangelicals you'll ever meet. We got to plant churches and train leaders and my wife was empowered by the Lord and other godly women to start a national ministry called Vita Transformate, which reaches out to women that are trapped in the sex trade. And I got to start a theological library and Bible institute of sorts. And I would just so like to end the story right there and just say we rode off into the sunset and lived happily ever after.
1: But all this time, the story didn't end there. No, it did not end there. Which, thank God. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. It's not the whole story. Yeah. But uh, all during this time, you're doing ministry, you're um, pastor's kid, you're you're earnest in your faith, but there's something beneath the surface. Uh, And talk to us about this.
2: So here, I just want to echo what Pastor Gerald just said a minute ago. Um, I really want want to share my story. Um, And I want to do it in a reverent way because we're vulnerable people in the audience and and I want to do so in respect to all of you, but I also want to name my sin because the beauty of Christ and his forgiveness is, shines so brightly uh, against the backdrop of our sin, and naming sin is also a pathway to healing as we submit to Jesus. So I just want to say that up front also because this is a congregation in which Ruthie and I have found a safe place to open up and ask for help, and I have found a safe place to share. And I don't wanna normalize sin, but I do wanna normalize grace in this community so that if you're struggling with something, you can open up about it. And if it's similar to mine, you can talk to me or to the pastors or to my wife. Uh, So just saying that um, the behaviors of my sin were sexual in nature, so sexual immorality and unfaithfulness to my marriage a 20-year addiction to pornography which led to acting out sexually in destructive and dark ways all the while in the background unknown and unseen by everyone in fact including myself wasn't really aware of how much brokenness was in my life and beyond the behaviors themselves it was the lying deceiving hiding the shame and the fear and the guilt that from a small crack of childhood woundedness unwanted childhood woundedness it grew into a chasm and i really thought that there was no way to cross that chasm
1: and some people hearing this story, they might think, okay, ah, okay, so Mark was a hypocrite. Like he, like, he didn't really love Jesus. Turns out the whole thing was a fake, and he was, you know. But that's not exactly the way to say it, right? Talk to us about your, your experience of Jesus. Like, what was your experience of Jesus during this time? Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I, I struggled myself answering that. How did I get there? Yeah. Like, how did I? All of those things were true that I said before about ministry and my family, and, and all of these things are true, too. Yeah. So, you know, an illustration that's helped me is, you know, um, that I thought of this week is like a kid that went out into the forest and found a creek and built a little, started to build a little play dam, you know, with little rocks and sticks and stop up the water. And as a child, the resources weren't even good enough. The water would just bust through the defense, you know. But the more I worked on it and the more I put boulders and blockage, I actually stopped up the water. And as life grew and my every step of the way, my ministry grew, my exposure grew, the cost of confession got higher. I had to build more resistance. I had to build a dam to hold the waters back. And in the meantime, I was building a town, you know, down you know, in the valley, my wife, my children, my home, and the ministry. And, and, the, and the more beautiful that got, the stronger I had to make my defenses. And... Um, and just kind of keep blocking, uh, blocking the impending judgment that I knew could come, but the more costly that confession would be. So
1: as you're building the dam thicker and thicker and stronger and stronger, what is that doing to your intimacy with yeah. Christ? Well, that's exactly it.
2: The greatest cost to unconfessed sin is lost intimacy. Like, without a doubt. You think it's the cost of your marriage or the cost of your kids or your ministry, no. Like, I remember in high school, um, I was at Black Forest Academy, and the Lord had done a work in my life, it was beautiful. I would go down every morning from my dorm room to the rec room with my uh, brown leather Bible, NIV, and my colored pencils, I sat in the rec room and it was me and Jesus and I was underlying and circling and Jesus spoke to me and there was no difference between the pages of scripture and my heart. Mm -hmm. Then I go for a walk in the woods and it was Jesus and me. But the more the sin insinuously worked its way through my life, the more I missed those times with Jesus. Like it siphoned off the intimacy. And the more I sort of needed really the joy and the blessing of ministry because it got me close to Jesus while keeping me away from him at the same time. Mm. And so that just got magnified over the course of my life. But intimacy with Jesus just, just got thinner and, and, and uh, kind of vanished from my experience really of, of scripture, which actually in, in ministry then, I felt uh, almost an anger reading the Bible like I desperately wanted God to speak to me because I loved the people I was serving and they needed the word of God. They needed his grace and his goodness and dang it, I wanted something from him. I needed his blessing, but I was too afraid, too proud to let that blessing actually flow through my confession. I couldn't.
1: So you, you couldn't confess. David couldn't confess either, right? I mean, if it wasn't for... The Lord sent a Nathan in his kindness to come and confront David. So how did you get to the place of confessing then?
2: So this brings us to the glorious day of July 9th, 2017. The day of my undoing and the reckoning of God. His merciful pursuit of my life broke through the wall of that dam. Uh, You know, I was at the top of sort of ministry. Planting churches and leading organizations and stuff like that, which don't matter at all and we came back to raise support uh in july in June and Ruthie, who had been sick in Italy throughout our time there with various things like sinus infections and and you know and other other sicknesses, now had a different sickness and um she began to go and Get tests, and the doctors began to talk to her about a sexually transmitted infection. And when those words were used, my heart went into utter panic, and I knew what was happening. The storm clouds that were hanging over my head my whole life now started to sprinkle, and I knew the storm was coming. And we were staying with our um, beloved family, uh, Ben and Hannah, Ruthie's sister, and the, and uh, she's a nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. and she was talking to Ruthie and saying, "Man, this." This looks like a sexually transmitted infection. Like you need to talk to Mark. And um, and I and I resisted and fought and pleaded with God. July sixth, seventh, and eighth, mm-hmm. I like launched my attack against God, and I threatened him. I did. I just got so desperate for a way out, just. Give me a way out for the love of the people,
0: mm.
2: for the love of my wife and kids, for the love of the gospel. Dang it, God, you cannot do this. Mm. Like, I will kill myself if you let this out. And it was the most loving no I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Severe <Yeah>. mercy. <laughs> to the earth. So, on Saturday night, I, uh, I cracked and I told Ruthie, there is a reason for this sickness. And... Um, it's related to my sin and I can't confess it to you. So tomorrow we're gonna go to Chris and Angela's house in, in, uh, in the suburbs. Chris is a pastor and a mentor and a dear friend and we have to talk. So uh, we went out there on July 9th and that's when, um, that's when the confession
1: happened. And how, um, how did Jesus meet you in the middle? Because that's the scary thing. I mean, you're, you're now going to... You're stepping into terrifying territory. I mean, absolutely terrifying territory. And Jesus, you know, you're not going to go willingly, but he's sort of corralling you into it now at this point, yeah. right? And how, how did he... What was your experience of him in, in that moment? Yeah. Like- so
2: this was the moment of dread. Like, I knew theologically that God loved me. But if you got Jesus and I in a corner, which is what he did, and I turned to look at him, I... Th- thought with all of my heart that he would be totally disgusted at my life like ashamed and angry and totally disgusted at me like how could you mark and here we are now we get to chris and angela's house and i said to ruthie they're sitting there and we're sitting there on the couch and their kids are playing with our kids and and i said ruthie i have a lot of sin to confess to you but i can't do it so i asked chris if we could step out and so I said, okay, Chris, get ready because I've got 20 years of sin coming. So we went for a walk in the park and I just said, rapid fire, this is the hidden side of me that you know, you and nobody knew, including Ruthie. And I spilled all of my sin and mm-hmm. he wept and he held me. He's like, we're going back into that room and I'm gonna help you confess. Mm-hmm. So we walked back in and Chris said to Ruth, okay, Mark has some sin, he's gonna confess it and we're here for you, we love you. So they were just like around us, right? And I just started and I told Ruthie the hidden side of me. I just spilled it out, I don't know how I said it or what I said, I'm sure I missed a ton of stuff. As I looked in her weeping eyes, she responded, I am committed to Christ and I am committed to you. And when she said those words, which came out of her lips, I saw and felt Jesus. It was like the words came out of the heart of God, like out of heaven, and grabbed my soul, which was about to fall off the cliff, you know? And that day began the great invasion of God of my life, right? Like, so every single day, there were there was Christian counseling, there were brothers and sisters around my life and every expression of it was Jesus coming to my rescue. Yeah.
1: And what's, I mean, what's, so now let's talk about, you know, confess sin, you're <laughs> not just back to baseline, right, oh, yeah. now talk about like, where is this, where's it taking you, in well, joy and?
2: Outside of the renewed intimacy with Ruthie, it was like, we've been married for 13 years and it's like, hi, who are you? Like, this is a side of my life. Um, and we had to walk through that. The ups and downs and fear and sorrow and sadness and anger and Jesus like healing us. It was like renewed intimacy with Ruth. And, re- and my, my kids forgave me. Here I thought they would like shoot me, you know. Jesus, it was like Jesus, I hadn't spoken with him for 20 years. It's like we have so much to talk about. It was like I never, the whole thing about the Bible, like I opened scripture on July 9th and every day thereafter. And I did not need to interpret the Bible at all. I was like, wow, every word in here is God speaking to my soul, to my heart. Mm. And every person that I had to confess to, like express the intimacy and love of the Father to me. I talked to Gianluca, my, my co-pastor and best friend in Italy. You know, I shared seven years of ministry. He would have raised my kids, I would have raised his. Like, super close, and he knew nothing. And I spilled all of the sin, and he wept, and he read Psalm 32, mm-hmm. and he said to me, nothing that we experienced was fake. Mm-hmm. Like, he reclaimed the beauty of ministry, yeah. you know, and I talked to Todd Wilson, and his first words were, there is no shame here. You know, and he just grabbed me. And he was the pastor at the time of the church, and he said, there is no shame here, you know? And every act of love and grace to, to me was like an expression of the love of the Father. It's like, where was God when I was building that dam when all of those people were downstream, you know, ready to get swallowed up by the rushing waters, you know? And every night, I was going out to patch up the cracks. Well, the, the dam broke on July 9th. And out of that wall came rushing with immense fury, the person of Jesus himself. The whole time, he was on the other side, submerged by my sin, chiseling away at my dam while I was patching it up. And he won. And he rushed through that wall and seized me with all of his might and covered me from the impending judgment that was coming, like the the reality of my sin. And he was also present in the lives of all of the people in the village. Like... He's big enough to care for all of the consequences of my sin. Yeah,
1: that's so beautiful because you just, you know, we can tell ourselves, well, I can't confess this because Jesus can't not only protect me, he can't protect everybody else. But where he's leading you, he can protect you, right? And he can guide you. Uh, Maybe there's someone in here that's resonating with what we're talking about. I hope we all are in our own ways. But maybe uh, say a word to to folks here about what, what you would say, like, David said, listen to me, I'll tell you what I know. Right, listen about, right, right. So it's
2: nothing new or different than what Scripture says. But a few things that are precious to my heart. Uh, God says, a smoldering wick he will not quench, snuff out. A bruised reed he won't break. Like, like Jesus is big enough and kind enough to care for you when you confess, Scripture says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Like, he will come to you and give you grace, and he can handle not only your sin, but the consequences of your sin. Like, that's why he came. Here I thought he, I was trying to gain his attention by all the good things when he really just wanted to come for my sin, you know? So, I, just, just conf- the, the freedom to confess, um, and to confess to each other. So in Celebrate Recover, we say, I admitted to myself, to God, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Like, the exact nature. Like, in the Christian community, we experience the grace of God, like I experience, as we confess to someone else. Like, you just can't kind of do it by yourself. Um, And I think the last thing is that, Like, the brokenness and the confession really is the pathway to find great joy and freedom. Like, I wouldn't trade the intimacy and the freedom I feel now for anything, you know, even having to go through that. And I realize now that in the past, God had planted lots of seeds of confession to show me the way, although I couldn't get there by myself, right? And if I could just end with one story, like, not everybody... Has a hidden monster in the closet of sin that 's been like devouring you from the inside, however, confession really is the pathway to joy and One uh, thought that or memory that came to my mind is before I confessed um, a few years before I confessed, uh, we had Tuesday night prayer meetings at Mabavita Church, just a group of a small group of saints that would come and um, we'd share their lives and would pray for the church and pray for each other, maybe 10 or 20 people. And, um, every week there was a couple there, Francisco and Diana, they would come all the time, uh, older couple, uh, not, not great means, kind of impoverished, um, bubbly, uh, talkative, um, would always share what was going on in their life, whether or not you wanted to hear it. If you invited them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they would come for all three and stay longer than you wanted them to. They were not ministry leaders, but you could always read how they were feeling right on their face. So sure enough, they came Tuesday night for prayer meeting, and I could read on their face, hmm, there's some conflict here, there's some struggle, there's some pain, they're, they're a little pissed off. But they were there at prayer meeting, and we're going around, and we're sharing prayer requests. And then Francesco gets up, and he says, I, we had a really big fight today, like when we're all sitting there he turned around and he got on his knees in front of his wife and he asked her forgiveness for the fight and she leaned down grabbed his face and kissed him on the lips Mm -hmm. and they sat back down and in that instant there was a spirit of joy and peace and freedom that just filled the room it was like oh (laughs) so we can like be really honest and humble you know like that and so I do feel like confession, it doesn't always have to be the massive thing, but how often can we say, like, we've seen each other confess? Mm. Like, do we see confession all the time? Like, could we come here to the front and just, like, kneel in front of our wife mm. and, like, confess sin? Like, that's, it creates an atmosphere in which Jesus comes and makes this a place of grace.
1: Yeah, and we, we have it in our mind, we see a way forward for confessing struggles that are not of our making, right? And we, some of that's some for some people that's hard to do that, right? But then confessing struggles that are of our making, that that's where we start getting very defensive posture, right? But just to be able to say, like, yeah, you know, I was fighting this, or I got angry with the kids, or I had this or that, like, but to, to to put words to the places where we're failing, it invites in the grace and the joy and the love of God and the healing power of Jesus, and so. I just think your story is so powerful, um, but it's also so big that maybe people are like, oh, that's not me. Like I, but, but there's a truth in there for all of us, right? That when we just own the places where we're failing, dramatic or not dramatic, that invites in the healing grace of Christ. Mark, would you pray uh, for our church and for all of us that we would live into a posture of confession and find the joy on the other side?
2: Yeah. Oh, Lord, you are a great God so kind, so sovereign, so in control, and yet so near, so merciful, so long-suffering, so patient, so unashamed of the fact that we, your people, are all screwed up and so desperately in need of your healing and grace and forgiveness. I just wanna bless you and, and boast in your grace. I wanna thank you for my wife and my beautiful children. I wanna thank you for this church, its pastors, its staff, its congregants, its leaders, and we invite your spirit, Lord God, to make us a people humble uh, and free and renewed in our resolve to step into the light by your grace, and we can do this because you, Jesus, are here with us. Thank you for your love. We pray this in your name. Amen.